Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. It is a real privilege. I, I try to just bring in the best, the best of the best to minister in this house. Uh, and that's what I can consider Glenn to be. Uh, a man of integrity, a man of character, a man of strength, somebody that has forged a path despite circumstance. He's, he's gone through, his story is absolutely amazing. Uh, where he should have given up and should be laying on a lounge, uh, you know, with a woe is me attitude. He decided to pick himself up, get a dream, follow that dream, love his God. As a result, meet his wife. He's got a beautiful wife, four amazing kids. Uh, He's an author. He's Australia's premier uh, youth communicator all through schools. Every single day of his life, he's either in Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, New Zealand. He's just on a plane every day of his life. He's an author. He speaks to, to, you know, Fortune 500 companies, the CEOs, their teams, he mentors, he's written mentor programs, kids for men, uh, books for men, books for boys, he's just a phenomenal man of God, a great minister, but beyond that he's a great friend, he's a true friend and there's a lot of people in life that get somewhere and become someone else and what I love about Glenn is he has scaled heights that few will, achieved things that few will, but he's remained true to himself and true to his friends and his family. Would you welcome Glenn Garin as he comes to minister this morning? Love you, bro. You're awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, good morning, everyone. So great to actually be here with you. Thank you for welcoming me into your beautiful community. Uh, Christian, Melissa, thank you so much for welcoming me into your home uh, for the last few days. I've had such a, a refreshing time. I've known Christian and Melissa for 20 years. Um, I worked out. So we must have met when we were like seven or something, right? So um, 20 years it's been, and it's been such a, a, a great time. Christian and Melissa are by far uh, some of the most authentic, genuine, Christ-centered people I know. And it's been so great to get to uh, hang out with their family. You know, beautiful Ella and Noah and, and, and Zach. They are such incredible kids with just hearts of gold. I just love your kids so much. So thank you so much for having me here uh, in Noosa. Hey, uh, guys, can I just ask one quick question? How many people actually weren't here when I spoke last time uh, here at this church? Oh, quite quite a few. Uh, What I might do is I'm going to give you like a 30-second version of my stories. Is that okay? And and who I am and what I do. Then we'll start this morning's uh, presentation Um, or message. presentation. What am I talking about? Okay. <laughs> yes, welcome. No, okay. Um, I actually grew up in, in Queensland. And uh, when I was in high school, I was uh, the fastest in Queensland uh, for the 100, 200 and uh, 400 meter sprint events. I uh, qualified for the World Juniors and pretty much had my sights set up on the up and coming Commonwealth Games and Olympic teams. But uh, towards the end of high school, uh, I got hit uh, with an incurable disease uh, called ulcerative colitis which is uh, very similar to Crohn's disease. Uh, the doctors put me on a disability pension and told me I'd never be able to work again, let alone run. So I lived like that, shut up at home for five years. I, I weighed a measly 55 kilos. I was taking 16 tablets a day and I was suffering with pain 24-7. And I got to take, I, I kind of spiraled into this place where I was like borderline depression. Why? Because not too many people tell you what to do when your dreams actually don't come true. So I lived like this. And then at, at, at 22, I got a revelation of a very well-known scripture, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, 
plans for good and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. That word so resonated in my spirit that I took the $2 that I had that was left over from the disability pension that week, raised money through government grants and business sponsorship, uh, built a youth centre out at Redcliffe, uh, one young Australian of the year in 1998, and then schools, companies, football teams started asking me to come in and share my story. I'm at a point in my life where I've got to tell you honestly, uh, I feel like I'm living my dream. Uh, in, in terms of high schools alone, I now speak in around about 300 high schools around the world uh, every year, averaging about 150 flights, asking about 100,000 teenagers. A lot of the big boys' schools, big GPS schools in Sydney, get me in especially to work with their first 15 rugby teams, coached on mental toughness and discipline. I had a school in Melbourne, recently flew me down for one hour just to work with eight of their rowers before a major regatta that had coming up. Health athletic squads, our swimming squads, our prefect committees, our leadership groups. Um, the NRL have, um, for the last five years, got me to come in, work with all of their teams, all, all their rookies, to run a program based upon one of my books uh, called Men of Honour. Uh, try and change a culture uh, within the next uh, five years. At this point in my life, i got to tell you honestly, I feel like I'm living my dream. But if you go back to when I was 22, <laughs> when I was 22, I actually weighed 55 kilos. I was taking 16 tablets a day, and I was suffering with pain 24-7. I want to give you just one quick um, email that I received from a student uh, just this week. Uh, she writes to me, and she says this. Uh, seven years ago, in 2011, you came to my school to deliver an intensive workshop for our retreat. At that time of my life, I stood at a really dangerous crossroad. But through your workshop and your words, you inspired me to choose hope. I still remember when you saw me sitting in the corner of the room and you came over to have lunch with me and just talked to me about life and struggles and dreams and our future selves. You unlocked something in me that day, one that I'll never forget. And seven years on, my life has taken completely changed. I went from being a high school dropout with severe mental illness to having the ability to travel the world and transform the lives of women and girls. At 23 years of age, I've worked with um, the United Nations, consulted with President Obama, and organized the largest legal girls political takeover in the world. I managed to become Woman of the Year and Future and get to meet the Queen. Um, all of this, uh, thank you so much for saving my life. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Guys, um, here's the deal. So I say that to basically say this. I know this message will help transform your life. So we need to kind of lean in. If you've got a pen, a paper, an iPhone, an iPad, a, a sharp instrument you can write on someone's leg, um, just do that if, if that's okay. Habakkuk 2. This message is obviously called Unstoppable. Habakkuk 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 2 says this. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. I'm convinced that the reason why most people don't run, the reason why most people aren't driven or press in or lean into the struggle is because they have no vision. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. The, the, the just 
shall live by faith. I want to couple that with another verse, and it's, and it's this. Genesis 37 verse 5 says this. Now Joseph had a dream. That was the key to his success. Not only that he had a dream, but he actually believed in his dream. You, you know, my toughest battle whenever I speak is not so much having people come up with a vision. That's actually the easy part. My toughest battle is getting people to actually believe in their dream. Most people have dreams, but they actually just don't believe their dream can actually happen. In fact, let me put it like this. You know the number one question I get asked from students um, is, is this. They email me and they write to me these sorts of questions. They say, dear Glenn, I really want to be an actress, but my dad, he wants me to do law. Glenn, I really want to be a muso, but my mum, she wants me to do medicine. Glenn, I really want to be like a fashion blogger, but my dad, he doesn't even know what that is. He wants me to be an architect. You want to do this? Uh, your parents are going to do There's like this disconnect. Can I tell you the answer? Young people, listen to me carefully. Let me tell you the answer to that question. Ready? The answer to the question is this. And I'm speaking on behalf of parents worldwide, if, if that's okay. Ready? The answer is this. If you actually really, really believe that you could actually be an actress, then guess what? Your parents probably start to believe in it as well. But because you don't really believe in it, please don't expect your parents to. How do you prove to your parents you believe in your dream? Here's what you do. You practice, you train, you study, rehearse. You enroll in drama school. You know when they say they're not going to pay for it? You get a part-time job so you can pay for it. You go on audition after audition after, after a while, your parents will start to notice. Have, have you seen her? Seriously, have you seen her? She's been getting up at 5 a.m. every single morning going over that monologue. You know we said to her we weren't going to drop her off at that audition? She caught two buses and a train to get out there. You know we said that we weren't going to pay for that drama school? You know she got a part-time job, she could pay for it? You know the day I, I went into his room? You know he was on that gu guitar for like three hours? His fingers were almost bleeding. Have you seen his song books? He's got books piled this how Luke I did. You know he started a YouTube channel? He's got like 10,000. He actually thinks he's going to do this. You know the day? I didn't know how he did it. He must have got the keys from the groundsman. You know, it was 10 o'clock at night. It was freezing cold. He was down on that over all by himself running drills. You know what? I think he's starting to believe. I think she's starting to believe. Hey, since they're starting to believe, why don't we get behind them and help them? But honestly, if you don't believe in your dream, please don't expect your parents to. You have to show them how devoted and how dedicated you actually are. We need to help. And as parents, we need to actually help give our young people vision. Does that make sense? Listen, let me explain it like this. My eldest daughter, Grace, she's in grade um, six at the moment. She's 12. But you know when she was in kindy? Sorry, what do they call it in Queensland, the one before grade one? Prep? You know when she was in prep when she was five? I thought as a dad I'd get her a present. So when I got her on a first day of school when she was five, I got her a vision board. She thought, seriously, what has she been doing for the last five years of her life? <laughs> that, that was a joke, right? <laughs> But I did get her a vision board, and I stuck it in her room. I'm sorry, can I sprag on my oldest daughter for a minute? Is, is that okay? She's like the number one swimmer in the junior school, never been to swim race, development squad for gymnastics, only girl to ever make the school swim team, cross-country team, athletics team, all in the same year. But I knew all this about her when she was five, because my job as a parent is to not to correct my child's errors. My job as a parent is to identify her strengths and get her to run her life around her strengths. 
So at five, I knew how she had the natural physicality to be an athlete. I didn't know what sport she'd be good at, but I knew she would be good at sport. Do you know what I did when she was five? Was I cut a picture of a swimmer, a dancer, an athlete, suck them all on the vision board when she was five. Then you know I said to her on her first day of school? So listen, Gracie, now that you've started school, honey, I just want us to be clear. You see, Gracie, what comes after school is, of course, <laughs> university. <laughs> That's the expectation. I right? said, so, so listen, honey, what university do you want to go to? Remember, she was five at the time. She said, Dad, what university did Mum go to? I said, well, Mum went to Sydney University. She goes, great, I want to go there. So when she was five, I cut out a picture of Sydney University, and I stuck on a vision board. You know what she has the height of saying to me? She says, Dad, can't I go to one university? I said, no, honey, you could post-grade go somewhere else. She goes, well, Dad, what's the best university in the world? I said, oh, honey, <laughs> that would be Harvard. <laughs> she said, can I go there? I said, absolutely. <laughs> so I got a picture of Harvard, and I stuck it on a vision board. Now, for goodness sake, don't you dare tell her this. So if you get on my Instagram, you'll see the same picture of vision board when she was five. Listen very carefully. I could actually care less whether my daughter goes to Harvard or not. You know all I want her to know? is if she wants to go there, she can. I'm amazed at how many young people today have never been told they could go. I'm here to tell you that if you want to go, you could go. <laughs> you know ANU, like in Canberra, university there, in 2020, you won't even need an ATAR to get into university. There'll be no scores. Because they, they, what they're looking for is your portfolio. <laughs> they're looking at how well you interview. So if you want to go, you could actually go. Does that make sense? Okay, now that was just for a couple of people. Um, now let's, let me get to the rest of you. <laughs> Joseph believed in his dream. And when he told it to his brothers, his brothers hated him even more. Have you ever noticed that every time you get a dream or a vision from God, there are obstacles to that dream? There are challenges. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you how today how to be brave and how to be unstoppable. Let me explain it's like this. Can I ask everyone to do, do me a favor? Can I ask everyone to just raise their hand for me? Everyone just raise their hand. Oh, beautiful. Well done. Now follow these instructions really carefully. Ready? Now do this. Now raise your hand as high as you can. Awesome. Fancy. Hold it there. Hold it there. Okay. Now, now do this. Now raise it higher. <laughs> Look at that. Okay. <laughs> Okay, sit, sit, sit down. Let me, let me tell you what just happened there. I just said to all of you, raise your hand as high as you can. And then I said, oh, now raise it higher. And magically, all of you were able to go higher. Why does that ha happen? Because we all fall in a common pitfall. We're all conditioned to hold a little back. We never give everything that we've, we, we never give anything, everything that we've got. Can you imagine if you actually gave everything you've got? Can, can you actually imagine Young people, if you gave school everything you had, can you imagine if you gave your business everything? Can you imagine if you gave your family everything that you had? Imagine if you were actually all in. Imagine, imagine that. Imagine if, if you decided that you were going to be all in in 2019. Imagine the kind of life you could actually experience. Imagine if, because if when we're all in, we actually might do something that other people might choose to talk about. When we're all in, we actually might make change actually happen. So I'm going to show you how to actually be brave. See, here's the deal. With every dream, that, like I said, there come obstacles. So I'm going to tell you what I believe to be the four major obstacles to building hope in your world. Is, is, is that okay? 
So write these down very quickly. Number one, this is all out of, by the way, the story of Joseph. Number one, the first type of thing that will try and steal your dream may seem obvious, but we do need to discuss it. First one is, of course, number one, people. Now, there are two types of people that are going to attempt to steal your dream. Some of you are about to get really upset at what I'm about to say. Some of you have never heard anyone speak with this level of truth before, but I didn't come here to baby you, if that's okay. Yeah? The first type of person who'll try and steal your dream is obviously are people that love you. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about your partner. I'm talking about your parents. I'm talking about your uncles, your aunts, your, your best friends. I'm actually talking about people who actually genuinely love you. Just like Joseph's brothers, right? Though his brother, his father even tried to steal his vision from him. Listen, how's it going to happen? It will happen something like this. Ready? You'll go home from church today and you'll go home to your partner, a friend, someone who really cares and thinks a lot about you. And you'll share them. And they'll ask you, how's church this morning? You'll say, oh, it was really good. This crazy bald-headed black man came to speak to us. And he was talking about dreams and goals and ambitions. And you know that dream that you have in, in your heart that now suddenly got resurrected? You know the dream that had been battered and bruised and beaten down for so long? And you begin to share with them about your vision, about your dream. You know what they're going to do? They're going to look at you knowingly. And they're going to go, oh, that, that, that's wonderful. That, that's great. I'm really glad you're all inspired after church. But listen, hey, listen. You know I love you, right? <laughs> you, you know I care about you. It, 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 it's just when I hear about this and I hear about this vision, I thought that was over. But now you're telling me it's got resurrected again? Listen. Uh, listen, I just don't want you to now, after the service, go and get your? Apparently you've heard that before. <laughs> you know the number one reason I actually came here? You know the number one reason I actually wrote a book called Get Your Hopes Up? Because my goal here today is actually get your hopes up. And you know why? Because I did some research. Do you know why so many people in our nation take their life? Because they actually lose hope. Do you know why so many people give up on their dreams? Because they actually lose hope. I don't want you to ever lose hope. In fact, as for me, I would actually rather die hopeful than die hopeless. All the way to the end, I want you to live with hope. In Romans, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have hope deep down in the basement of your being and deep down in the cellar of your soul. Let, let, you, let your life become embodied by hope. In fact, I had somebody come up to me once. I won't tell you where I was at because you might know the place. This guy comes up to me mad as hell. I've never seen a guy so mad in my entire life. Comes up to me, shakes his finger in my face and says this. He says, you know what? I think what you do is cruel. I said, why? <laughs> he said, you can't go around giving all these people hope. You can't go around telling them they're going to achieve their dreams and do the impossible. That's cruel. I said, why is it cruel? He said, because Glenn, what happens when they fail? I was like, give me a break. What happens if they succeed? And I'm sorry, but I get far too many emails. Like, I'm not kidding you. 50, like that one I mentioned a week from people all across the planet telling me that they've used these principles and gone and been a success. They made a deal with them. So listen, once the emails stop coming, I'll stop speaking. But I know giving people hope empowers them to do things they never thought was possible. And can I deal with this failure thing once and for all? Is, is that okay? 
doesn't matter what group of people I speak to, most people's greatest fear is failure, right? You know what what fear does? Is it focuses our attention. And so we can't see all the other opportunities are in front of us. Yeah? So here's what I want you to do. When you fail, okay? Not if. You know when when the business doesn't seem like it's going to plan? You know when it feels like your family's falling apart? You know when it feels like nothing's working out for you? Here's what I want you to do, and I pray that this advice I give you right now will actually haunt you for the rest of your life. You ready? When you fail, just do this. Ready? Just do this. Pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and try again. Because what if I fail twice? What if I go for my dream and I fall flat on my face? What would you advise? You know what? If you give your dream two decent attempts and you still fail, then fair enough. My advice will completely change. It definitely something more like this, yeah? Pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and try. We're going to three times, or four, or five, or seventeen. Listen to me very carefully. You never give up on your dream, because if you believe is if you believe is God's purpose for your life, then you never give up. Does, it, does that make sense? In fact, I'll come back to this failure thing in a second. Let me give you the second part of this. Ready? Second type of person who will try and steal your dream is, of course, people that don't love you. Who, who am I talking about? I'm talking about your 2,000 friends on Facebook. <laughs> I'm talking about the people who don't even genuinely like you. Hey, listen to me. Can, can I just offer you some advice? If somebody writes something negative about you on your Facebook page or on Instagram or your Twitter feed, here's what I want you to do. Ready? First of all, don't read the whole comment. Because if you read the whole comment, you'll be able to sleep at night. Because you don't bounce around in your head. Here's what I want you to do. Immediately, immediately, just delete their comment. Don't write back and be some sort of keyboard warrior. D- delete the comment, then go to the bottom of that person's page, or on that person's page it says this, ready? Block this user. <laughs> you don't even give people a second chance. Oh, you forgive them, you let it go. If you saw that person in the street, you'd nod, you'd smile, you'd be polite. But you don't allow those people in your inner circle. Does that make sense? See this number there? See number there? If you have that many real friends, your whole entire life. I'm actually talking about actual, genuine people whom you can share your hopes and dreams, fears and insecurities with, and they will not judge you. If you have that many r- real friends, then honestly, you're doing well above average. Can't be honest with you. I know this sounds a little bit countercultural, and we're not used to hearing this, but here's the honest truth. Ready? Seriously? Not everyone's opinion actually matters. <laughs> Listen, I didn't say they didn't matter, just not necessarily their opinion. Does, does that make sense? All people are equal, but not all ideas are equal. Yeah? And can I tap, double-click on this? Can I just go a little bit deeper? Is, is, is that okay? Listen to this carefully. Um, or let me put it another way. Ready? Not every follower is a friend. Ready? Not every follower is a friend. You know, there are 7.5 billion people on this planet, and 5 billion people have mobile devices. We are more connected, yet more isolated. Yes? Suicide, depression, and anxiety are on the increase. People are smiling on social media on Monday and then taking their lives on Tuesday. Why do we feel so isolated? And you, you know why? Because no one today feels safe. You post one, one thing, you post about how the sun is shining, it's going to be a beautiful day, and someone will just post something mean and resentful at you. It's, it's amazing. In, in, in your pocket, you have access, literally, to five billion people, and yet you feel alone in the strangest of ways. One of the reasons is because I believe we've lost common ground. 
we've lost the ability to have empathy for other people. We live in these echo chambers, these silos. We're surrounded by the same thinking. We curate our whole entire lives based on what we think. And then bots and cookies will follow you and then send you your preferences. So we are surrounded by our own opinion. And therefore we think that our own opinion is the most valued. And we're only friends with people who think like us, like the same music as us, and visit the same restaurants as us. We connect with people who look like us, think like us, and vote like us. Problem is, we never get to really irrigate our thoughts with other people's ideas or balance our truth. Because truth doesn't even matter anymore. What matters is, are you on my team? And if you're not on my team, then I'll kill you. Because it, it, everyone's about taking sides. And, and, and we feel so alone because we think that people follow us, but they don't really know us. That, that they're around us, but that's why, can I tell you something? That's why church is so important. That's why being here every week and getting your kids in this kind of environment is so vital. You know one thing I love about um, Christian and Melissa? is Christian took me to breakfast, right, on, on yesterday morning, and we're walking down, and he... He's been here in Noosa for six years, and it felt like he knew every single person. He's saying hello to everybody. I said, oh, do these people come to your church? No. I, come right, I, I just, six years, and he's connected with almost every person in this community. Because he's open. He's open to other people's ideas. He's, o- he's open to actually extend his mind. He allows himself to be vulnerable. That's what I love about what you guys are doing here in this community. You're going to change this community, I'm telling you. God is going to do something incredible amongst the people from, the, from, from this house. Now, now, I'm sorry, but can I get back to this value thing really, really, really quickly? This one's carefully. Ready? Um, there's an old Silicon Valley motto, and it goes like this. Fail early, fail often, fail forward. Guys, fail early, fail often, fail forward. You, you, you know my four-year-old son? Justice, wouldn't I be an incredibly cruel dad, seriously? I'm an incredibly cruel dad if when he was first learning to walk and he fell over for the first time. Wouldn't I be a cruel dad if I said this to him? Listen, boy, you failed. I don't want you ever trying that again. <laughs> we all know that sounds stupid, right? You know what I said to him? I said, this is the listen, son. This is going to take you a hundred attempts to get right. Your daddy wants you to know that's okay. You need a thousand attempts? I don't mind. You want 10,000? I don't care. You know why, son? Because I don't know if you keep trying and I want you to be able to walk. Can you please explain to me, why is it okay for me to give my son permission to fail? But why have so many adults actually stopped giving teenagers permission to fail? You know what's even worse? Why have you stopped giving yourself permission to fail? Failure is a part of the process. If you never learn to fall down, you'd actually never learn to get back up. Don't you dare allow failure. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 16, it says a righteous man falls down seven times, but he rises up again. Listen, there's this really, really old computer game. I don't know if you guys have ever heard it before. It's one of the highest selling computer games of its day. No one really seems to play it anymore, but it's called, um, sorry, it's called um, Angry Birds. Anyone ever heard of it before? <laughs> Angry Birds was started by a Finnish company in Finland. It was a 50 second game they created. Can anybody in this room name any one of their first 51 creations? No, you couldn't because they're all dismal failures. Can I be honest with you? If you had 52 goes at something, you'd probably create something world-class as well. But to be honest, most of you don't have a second attempt, right? 
let alone a third or a fourth. See, here's the deal. I have no problem in you failing. My problem is some of you don't even put up a fight. At least if you're going to go down, go down fighting. <laughs> go down giving it everything you've got. Does that make sense? Okay, so number one, people. Number two, sec- second thing will try and steal your vision or your dream from you. Um, number two is this, ready? Life. Number two, life. Now, I've got a news flash for you. I'm sorry that I have to be the one that actually come and tell you this. I don't know why Christian and Melissa asked me to do this. Maybe I do the short straw, I don't know. <laughs> it is some really, really bad news. I just want to get past it really quickly if that's okay. Here's what I've learned about life. Ready? I've learned this. And they didn't ask me. I'm just joking. Right? <laughs> Here's what I've learned. Ready? Here's what. Life is unfair <laughs> to everybody. W- would you agree with me? Would you agree with me that bad stuff does actually happen to good people? It was unfair. I got an incurable disease. Life's unfair like that. You want to also learn? Also learn this. Ready? Life's unfair. Sometimes to your disadvantage, but then sometimes to your... You know, when I was in primary school, I was the only brown kid in all-white primary school. I called heaps of names color of my skin. That was actually a really tough time for me. But now when a 14-year-old boy comes up to me and tells me he's been hassled, I now have the compassion and the empathy to sit down with him and talk him through it. Do you know I never would have got the compassion had I not experienced it myself? You know, I was 15 and my mum and dad got divorced. That was actually a really tough time for me. But now when a 17-year-old girl comes up to me, tears crying, telling me her parents have just split up, she didn't know who she's going to live with, I now have the compassion and the empathy to sit down with her and maybe cry with her because I actually know what that feels like. Hey, you know all this stuff on the NRL? Fox Sports did this series with me, like a little television show, a little documentary at some of the players. They sent me a teaser of the show, right? So I showed it to my dad. So look, Dad, on Fox Sports, some of these players, have a look, have a look. You know my dad's reaction was? Seeing his son, Fox Sports, my dad's reaction, ready? Mm. You my whole entire life, my father has never told me that he's proud of me, no matter what I've done. But my four kids, they get to hear it every single day. Life's unfair, hey. Sometimes you're disadvantaged, but then sometimes you're advantage. Sometimes the way that you were raised, you now know that's not the way it's supposed to be. You now have an opportunity to change things. The thing that was meant to destroy you actually does make you stronger. Listen, I, I grew up in the 80s, okay? So I'm not going to apologize for that right now. <laughs> but can I tell you there was one good thing happened in the 1980s? Probably the greatest philosopher of all time. You guys probably not familiar with this great man. But I would urge you, if you ever have a chance to read any of this great man's work, to see any of the things he's been involved in, I'd really encourage you to do that. That great philosopher that really impacted my life as a young boy growing up was a gentleman by the name of Rocky Balboa. (laughs) Now listen, I don't know if any of you have seen a Rocky film before. Anyone here ever seen a Rocky film? Oh wow, look at that, listen. Hey, in Rocky 6, right, Rocky is having some problems with his son. So he calls his son out of the restaurant and he says this to him, right? He says this, says, Yo, hey. Come here, come here, come here. Let me tell you something you already know. Life ain't all so sound rainbows. The very mean and nasty place out there. And I will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take 
and keep moving forward. The door wouldn't have done. The ability. The ability to pick yourself back up. That's because you know what? Life is going to throw us as a curveballs, right? Or, can I, I'm sorry, for all the Christians, can I give you the Christian version of Rocky Balboa's speech? 2 Corinthians 4 goes like this, ready? But we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. God is with you. God is with you. We've got to keep hope on the line. Does that make sense? Uh, number, um, n- n- number three, ready? Number three, because I, I, I got to close soon. Ready? I got to close. Number three, the f- third thing I'm trying to steal your dream is, of course, this, ready? Time. Time. And if you're not careful, time will wear you out because it, it will exhaust you. And I, I'm sorry, but I know of no greater illustration to give you than, than this man, right? Um, Nelson Mandela, uh, 27 years. Not seconds, not minutes, not days. This guy held on to a dream for 27 years. Do you know what that looks like on a calendar? On a calendar on a wall, it would look like this. Ready? Can, can I just describe it to you? It looks like this. Ready? Here we go. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, 1963, 1964. There is in a prison cell that's two meters by two meters squared holding on to a dream. 1965, 1966, they beat him, they tortured him, he'll not let go of this dream. 1973, you know what they said to him in 73? They said, Mandela, we'll let you out. All you have to do is say the blacks and whites should not be treated equal. He said, how can I go back in my convictions? They said, fine, die in there. 1974, 1976, 1983, now felt the soft, smooth skin of my granddaughter because it was such an incredible moment. But the reason why they brought the grandchild to prison because in their culture, the grandfather got to name the child. So the da- daughter interrupts his daddy, daddy, what should we name her? And they expect him to be a little bit bitter and angry at the world. You know his son died while he was in prison and he wasn't allowed out to go and bury his son. So he's a little bit angry at the world. And we said, so name her, name her, Zazawe which means hope. I may not get out of here alive, but I pray that hope gets passed to another generation. 1984, 1986, 1989, then he goes from prison to president. And I have people come up to me and and say the stupidest things. Oh, you know, it's been a little while. It's been like six months. I held on, tried to make it, didn't work. Six months. Oh, you know, I really tried to commit for five years, but, you know, just wasn't going to go to plan. Don't you ever let time steal your dream. Listen, make, it, make a big post to put this in your room. Ready? Delay is not denial. Guys, delay is not. Just because your dream has been delayed does not mean that you've been denied. Delay is not denial. Listen, there was this guy, John Akiwiri, 1968 Mexico City Olympic Games. He comes running in during the marathon, two and a half hours after limping, after the marathon has already been declared over. 
he's so far last, they've all forgotten about him. Out of the dank, dark, cold Mexico City night, this lone Tanzanian man comes out of the shadows. The lights of the stadium illuminate his presence. The officials go nuts. Get back, get back, get back. Someone's still running. He comes and does a last lap. They shower, change, and refresh him. Then they do something that blows my mind. They organize a press conference for this loser. I'm thinking, who wants to interview him? He's two and a half hours late. What good thing will he have to say? But I'm such a fool. To my surprise, the press room is jam-packed, full of reporters and full of cameramen, and one reporter is brave enough to ask the question that's on everybody's lips. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, sir. We've just got one question for you, and then we'll leave you alone, but so we can't work out what, what you just did. So in our westernized culture, we actually have a lot of good starters. We don't have a lot of good finishers. We have a lot of people who start committed, kingdom builders, they say, and then they're gone. So you please explain to us, why in the world didn't you quit? Why in the world, you know when it all got too hard? You know when there was no one there cheering you on? You weren't stuck out in the dark and no one even cared, no one even noticed you. You were out there working hard towards your vision and no one even, what in the world kept you running when it seemingly looked like it wasn't going to work out like you planned? This young Tanzanian man, he stands to his feet, he looks very poor in the eye, he says this, he says, hey listen, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me here to finish. <laughs> Listen to me. You were not put on this planet to start a race. You were put here to finish one. Do you know that having a destiny actually implies you have a destination to reach? A line to cross? There is something in you that this world needs? That gift you have is not for you. That is your gift back. We need you to do the thing. If you don't do it, then who's going to do it? Because no one can do it like you do it. You have a responsibility to and for your generation to be the very best that you can be. We're all dependent on you. Well, like Paul said, I've run the race. I've fought a good fight all the way to the end. And and, and the fourth thing, right, that will try and steal your dream. i got to close. Fourth thing is, of course, this. Ready? Um, You. How, How do you steal your own vision? Number one through self-doubt and negativity. You just refuse to believe. And because c- you know what some of you want? Can I tell you, can I really just be really honest and get up all in your face? Is that okay for a minute? Here's what you want. You want certainty. You want to know without a shadow of a doubt that if I devote my life to this, that it's going to all work out. Can I be honest with you? There's no such thing as certainty. I'm sorry, but I can't give you a crystal ball and say, look, let's look, look in the f- future and just see if it's going to work out. There's no such thing. But you know what? Because some of you are worried because you have these elements of doubt. You're worried. But can I be honest with you? You know what doubt is? Doubt is like the ants in your pants that keep your faith alive. You would have no reason for faith unless there was an element of doubt. You need that doubt to keep your faith bubbling and rising. To keep Because the just shall live by faith. And the second way that you try and steal your dream is, is number two, uh, through laziness. And I'm sorry, but I don't know what to do with a lazy person. Because it's not like you go up to a lazy person and say this, hey, 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 stop doing nothing. Because <laughs> I'll just say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. You're not doing anything right either. Just do something. Move. Breathe on a mirror. Let me know that you're alive. Do something. I don't care, right? <laughs> Just do something. <laughs> okay. 
Listen, um, two things. Can I just give you two things you want to scribble down as I close? Two things. If you think that this message was about motivation, you've missed it. I'm sorry, but I did not come here to get you motivated. Because we do agree that motivation comes and goes. <laughs> I didn't come here. You know what I came here to do? I came here today to get you committed. This is where you grit your teeth. And what you f- I don't care how you feel. You do whatever you need to do because you're committed. Does that make sense? Oh, you know why I don't care how you feel? Because you know what? Emotions are actually data, not directions. It doesn't matter whether you feel like coming to church or not. It, it, gives, you imp- it gives you data, information, but you don't lead your life according to your emotions. Does that make sense? You live your life according to your principles and your values and according to your vision. What's the overarching vision that you have for your life and for your family? You wouldn't be here if you didn't believe that it was connected into a much higher cause. Yes? And second thing, ready? Second thing. Um, Can you do me a favor? Just seriously do me this favor. Um, Tonight, can you just do one thing? I came here today to just give you enough light to take the next step. Can you just do one thing tonight that will get you one step closer to your dreams? I don't care what that, I don't care how small or how cheesy it might seem. Just do one thing. Commit, sign up, get involved. Get involved. I don't care what it is, just do one thing. Is, is that cool? Okay. Three questions I want to ask you. Ready? Number one is this. If you don't really feel connected to God, you know a lot about God, but you don't really feel connected to Him. Can, can, can I just pray for you in just a second? Is, is that all right? Our second group of people um, I, I, I want to pray for um, are, are these. It, you were once felt really, really connected to, to Christ, but somewhere along the way, you kind of got lost. You decided to follow your own path rather than God's path for you, and now you feel like you're stuck out in the middle of the forest, you're surrounded by weeds and thistles, you're, the path that you need to be on is way over that you can see it, but you've wandered so far away from it that you feel so anxious now, but you know that you need to get back to it. I want to help you get back on the path that you know you should be on, where you are hard and fast, and with everything you have, pursuing the things of God. And, and the third type of person I want to pray for is this. See, I used to say, um, if you were to die today, do you know you'd make it to heaven? But you know what I recently realized? It's actually easy to die for Him. What's actually hard is to live for Him every single day. So if you're not living for Him every single day, can I just pray for you really quickly? Is, is that okay? So if you fall in one of those three categories... God's not first in your life, you don't feel connected to Him, or you're not living for Him every day, I'm going to ask everyone to just close your eyes, I'm going to ask everyone to come out the front, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer, everyone just close your eyes all across this auditorium, and if you fall into one of those three categories, God's not first in your life, you don't feel connected to Him, or you're not living for Him every day, can I just ask you on the count of three to shoot up your hand, no one else is looking around, this is just between you and God, ready, here we go, and how you know you need to do this right now, your head and your heart are having a battle, your heart is saying no, Sorry, your heart is saying yes, but your head is saying no. So I want you to open up your heart and make yourself vulnerable to the God who loves you, who knows you, who wants to do everything He can to maximize your life. So on the count of three, you don't, He's not first in your life, you don't feel connected, you're not living for Him, just slip up your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Very, very quickly. I just want to pray for these people just where they're sitting. No one needs to come out the front. Anyone else right now? Awesome. Awesome. Can I just have everyone stand for me really quickly? Is, is, is that okay?
Um, guys, I'm going to lead you all in a prayer, but those um, couple of people, three people that raised their hands, I want you to pray this from your heart, ready? But we're all going to join with you so you don't feel awkward. Is that, is that okay? Yeah. So let's just all pray this prayer out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, open the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Take over my life. I give it to you. I pledge to serve you all the days of my life in your house. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Let me, before I hand back over to Christian, let me just pray for all of you here. Can everyone just lift their hands right now? After a message like that gets preached, I want, I want, I want a deposit to be left, right? And I can't give you that deposit. That deposit has to come from the Holy Ghost. So right now, lift up your hands towards heaven. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person in this church here this morning. I pray, Lord God, this message will continue to resonate in their hearts long after they've left this building, Lord God. And they will go home tonight, Lord God, and they would um, connect, they put their, their mind on the Word of God and you would speak to them, Lord God, in the midnight hour. Speak to them, Lord God. Put vision in their hearts and vision in their, their minds. Help them to readjust their life, Lord God, if it needs to be readjusted to get themselves aligned with you. I pray, Holy Spirit, come like rain right now and touch each and every person, empowering them by your Holy Spirit to carry out your work. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.